Can you imagine planning your own funeral? Yes, I can actually. I know what mine will be. I want to be a tree after I die. Cremated, then mixed and buried with pine or oak seeds, and I'll become a tree. So I can relate just a little bit with Her Majesty the Queen planning one's own funeral ceremony. I mean, look, Prince Philip, her husband, planned his own funeral as well. Death is part of life after all. So mine, I'll be a tree. That might not be so bad, actually. You're going to have forests instead of uh, cemeteries, and people can come visit in a less morbid place and have like a picnic and yeah i mean you know it'd be good for the environment too so yeah that's not a bad idea exactly and if an annoying relative visits you and you're a walnut tree you can drop a walnut on their head Bop. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, hey Sandra. Hi Neil, hi fam, welcome back to this week's episode. It's very strange to talk about someone's death when they're still alive, but here we are. Sandra thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> I feel a bit of resentment in your tone, Neil, but let me remind you that the Queen herself was actively involved in these plans for when she passes away, as many kings and queens before her actually. This is not new. So I'll make a small digression here. The art of royal spectacle was not the forte of the British monarchy. Most of the rituals were invented in the 19th century, actually. Before, it was the Habsburgs, the Russians, and the Italians who did funerals and coronations with pomp and very intricate ceremony, and they did them well. But British ritual occasions were, well, not amazing. Victoria's coronation was almost a disaster as the clergy got lost in the woods and the singing was awful and the royal jewelers made the coronation ring for the wrong finger. <laughs> was it the finger I'm thinking of? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. The point is, I think alcohol had something to do with it. I can sense too much wine, if you know what I mean, in that situation. <laughs> And, for example, in the 1830s, the Times reported on the funeral of George IV, quote, we never saw so motley, so rude, so ill-managed a body of persons. So, mm, that didn't go well either. And at the funeral of Princess Charlotte in 1817, the undertakers were drunk. <laughs> well, you know, everybody in the 19th century was very drunk, so they'd get a pass. During the burial of the Duke of York 10 years later, St. George's Chapel was so cold that George Canning, the foreign secretary, contracted rheumatic fever and the Bishop of London died. I mean, <laughs> so you can understand why after those events, you know, planning was really needed, extensive and thorough planning of these events. So it was actually Queen Victoria's son, King Edward VII, who is largely responsible for reviving royal display and pomp, the, the ceremonies we see now at weddings, funerals and coronations. And look, I love the Queen, I'm obsessed with the royals, you know that, and I would not propose an offensive and insensitive subject. The palace already made their position kind of known, they leaked this plan, I mean, it's codenamed Operation London Bridge, and it's a way of easing the people into the idea of the Queen passing away, setting the scene for what comes next, and that's, that's the gist of it, I would say, yeah. Yeah, I suppose it, it all makes sense. There's not been another monarch in... England in our lifetime. So this is going to be a new thing in some ways, because there hasn't been one in such a long time, a passing of the crown. 
So the death of Queen Elizabeth will be an important historical moment for everybody in England. Plus, I suppose everybody wants to know exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be on TV for a week. Yes, and look, I think the whole world is going to be uh, watching. This is going to be a, a big moment, you know, in history. And the last time a British monarch died 70 years ago, the demise of George VI was communicated in code to Buckingham Palace to prevent switchboard operators from finding out. And the code was Hyde Park Corner. And look, Queen Elizabeth is 96 years old. Elizabeth II, our queen, this queen. Well, not ours, but like the queen of our episode, right? She's <laughs> yes. 96 years old. Um, and we know she's in good health for her age, but she does have some mobility issues as any human would at 96. She had COVID in February 2022 and she recovered, but she did say that COVID leaves one feeling very tired and exhausted. And there's the Platinum Jubilee, which took place in June of this year which is a massive four-day-long celebration, kind of a milestone to celebrate 70 years of service to the people of the UK and the realms of the Commonwealth. Yes, and there were some health concerns there. She did miss some of the events, most importantly the service at St. Paul Cathedral, which was really, really meaningful to her, but she had to pull out due to quote-unquote discomfort. That's what the palace said, which, you know, at 96, I totally get. And it's also a matter of dignity in a way if she wasn't feeling up to it. And mind you, these are events that take hours and hours on end. I also get it. You can't be seen to stumble or, you know, be dozing off during the Epsom Derby, for example. You're the sovereign, so you have to look it no matter what. She was seen using a cane during an event at Westminster Abbey in October 2021. So ever since she's been using that cane, you know, age takes its toll. If I'm alive at 96, I'm going to be insufferable. So <laughs> you are insufferable. Yes, I mean that's it already. So imagine what I'm going to be imagine. like in 50 years of uh, constant sorrow added to the already 40 something years I have now. So that was probably the best choice to just go home. Uh I mean 70 years, that's a lot. And uh you know, she's been she's been present and visible for most of that time. Yes, and I do believe she did a marvelous job in these 70 years. And look, no retirement either. That's another thing. Even now at 96, she does work every day. You know, she still holds most of her meetings and duties as monarchs, some of them online. Some have been delegated to Charles, Prince of Wales, the future king. But all in all, she's still very active. She holds her weekly audience with the prime minister. Now it's Boris Johnson, but we'll soon see who replaces him. Thank goodness. It's amazing to me <laughs> that the British managed to find not just a version of Donald Trump to be their prime minister, but like in the British way, he is like a literary version of Donald Trump. <laughs> He's like Donald Trump uh, with a classics degree, which is it's just so British, isn't it? It is, it is, you're right. And you know, but see, this is why I think constitutional monarchy is one of the best inventions, one of the best things to have happened to Britain, because look, you have these people that come and go, the politicians and the more distasteful ones, like Boris Johnson, but then you have the king or the queen, and they are always there to hold a little bit of class and style on top of, you know what I mean? Well, when you have a Boris yes. Johnson, I mean, so that's, it's, it's brilliant, yes. really. And speaking of, uh, she had 14 prime ministers leading the government uh, in the time that she has been the monarch, including Winston Churchill, who was her first prime minister. So let's 
quite a long time. Um, four prime ministers were actually born after her ascension to the throne. Uh, Blair, Cameron, May, and our boy Boris Johnson, our big, wet, sloppy boy. And she and, and she outlasted 13 American presidents, from Truman to Trump. So, I mean, she might outlast the current U.S. president, too. Yeah, that is indeed extraordinary. And she is a very well-loved monarch. That is why her death will be so heartbreaking for everyone, but especially for the Britons. So Operation London Bridge would typically be a guarded secret, but between the Guardian Sam Knight reporting on the details of the matter uh and his is probably the best to read if you're interested in all these details and politico also obtained a copy of the official documents drawn up by the cabinet office in 2021 everybody's got a pretty good idea of what to expect in the 10 days between uh, the queen's death and her funeral so operation london bridge here we go the palace envisions that the queen will pass after a short illness. Her senior doctor, a gastroenterology professor named Hugh Thomas, will be in charge and he's going to be controlling the access to her room and what information is being made public. If it is thought that her medical condition is declining, the palace will likely indicate that the queen is unwell, but won't go into specifics. So they're going to give her subjects time to prepare for the news of her passing. You should clarify exactly who the palace is for the Americans who don't keep up with all this stuff all the time. The palace is Buckingham Palace, the home of the monarch. So when the queen's condition worsens, there will be some kind of heads up. You know, we will get bulletins. Sir James Reed, Queen Victoria's physician, announced two days before her death in 1901 that, quote, the queen is suffering from great physical prostration accompanied by symptoms which cause much anxiety. And Lord Dawson, George V's doctor, issued a final notice at 9.30 p.m. on the evening of January 20th 1936, reading, quote, the king's life is moving peacefully towards its close. That's a nice way of putting that. Yes, I like that better than the suffering one. A few minutes later, Dawson injected the king with 750 milligrams of morphine and a gram of cocaine. That's a nice way to go, too. <laughs> Enough to kill a person twice over in order to ease the monarch's suffering, but also to have him painlessly pass away in time for the printing presses of the times which rolled at midnight which is well <laughs> now we're now we arrive at the problem is britain is a country that is just full to the brim of opinion columnists <laughs> true and look it might seem cynical and cold but the monarchy always planned these things because historically you want the nation to know as fast as possible you don't want rumors and uncertainty and you don't want the whole day passing while the king is dead and you can't print it back then there was no online right so you also want the people to know they have a new king or queen immediately. It's essential. And what I think is important to mention here is that once the queen draws her last breath, the second she passes, Charles is king. His siblings are going to bow and kiss his hands. And there is also Operation Springtide, by the way. That is the plan for Charles's accession to the throne. And although there has also been a debate about the title of Camilla Bowles, Charles's wife, Queen Elizabeth publicly stated in February 22 that she would like Camilla to have the title of Queen Consort. So Camilla will instantly become Queen Consort, not the Queen. 
and this is something that I also want to highlight, the phrase, the queen is dead, long live the king, will be spoken by the close family as they'll find out first and then everybody else. That's a tradition for European royalties in 1774 when Louis XV died and the Dauphin, Louis Auguste, immediately became King Louis XVI of France. That's the phrase they use, the king is dead, long live the king. It's not offensive, it's not disrespectful. In fact, it reassures people that there is no power vacuum, no fighting over the throne, the country has a king or queen already, so things are okay. And well, in Louis XVI's case, not so long, so... <laughs> 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 the day of the queen's passing, though, internally at the palace, that day will be referred to as D-Day. Each following day leading up to the funeral will be referred to as D-Day plus one, D-Day plus two, and so on. So this is what happens on D-Day. Immediately after the queen's death, Sir Edward Young, her private secretary will call and inform the Prime Minister of the Queen's death, and then civil servants will use the phrase London Bridges Down on Secure Lines. From the Foreign Office's Global Response Center in an undisclosed location somewhere in London, the news will go out to the 15 governments outside the UK where the Queen is also the head of state, and the 36 other nations of the Commonwealth. Yes, I mean, besides the UK, the Queen is head of government in the following countries, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Antigua and Barbuda, the Bahamas, Belize, Grenada, Jamaica, Papua New Guinea, St. Lucia, Solomon Islands, St. Kitts and Nevis, and St. Vincent, and the Grenadines, plus other 36 nations. And look, you might think it's just titles and honorary symbolism, but no, the monarch is up to date on all the goings on, they get daily briefings, updates, about current events and so on. I can barely manage myself, one dog and two cats. And the Queen has been successfully ruling over these many millions of people and places for 70 years, day in and day out. Yeah, so the British Prime Minister and the governments of all these nations will find out first of the sad news of the Queen's passing. Then us, the rest of the world, and when the Queen dies, the announcement will go out as a news flash to the Press Association and the rest of the media simultaneously. At the same moment, a footman in mourning clothes will emerge from a door at Buckingham Palace and pin a black-edged notice to the gates. I love that. I love that they're going to combine all the modern technology and stuff, but also keep the old ways of doing it. I love that. As he does this, the palace website will be transformed into a somber black single page, showing the same text on a black background. The UK government website, gov.uk, will display a black banner at the top as well. All government departmental social media pages will also show a black banner and change their profile pictures to their departmental crest. Non-urgent content must not be published. Retweets are explicitly banned unless cleared by the central government head of communications. All flags across Whitehall will be lowered to half-mast within 10 minutes of the announcement, so we even have a time frame. Yes, no, and I remember there was some kind of uh, discussion and a little bit of agitation around the 10 minutes, because they do not have um, a person employed for each, you know, flag. So, like, it was a thing, like, we need to do this really fast, and they 
planned it eventually. Now it's been sorted, right? But they got to do it like in less than 10 minutes ever. So it, that's, I don't know. This is the kind of planning I like. And this is a very interesting thing, I feel. The BBC will activate RATS, the radio alert transmission system, which is a Cold War era alarm designed to withstand an attack on the nation's infrastructure. RATS is also sometimes referred to as Royal About to Snuff It, and it's a near mythical part of the ritual and rehearsals for the death of the royals since the 1930s. And a lot of the BBC staff have never actually used RATS, uh, quote, wherever there is a strange noise in the newsroom, someone always asks, is that the rats? Because we don't know what it sounds like, one regional reporter told Sam Knight, the journalist who wrote that exceptional article about Operation London Bridge, um, the one that Neil mentioned, and we're going to link that article in the episode notes. See, this is a problem uh, if we still had this in America, because I guarantee you nothing in America that has been unused for 40 or 50 years works at all. It would explode in a shower of sparks and probably injure the person who pressed the button. And the only <laughs> news would be the lawsuit about who has to pay for the, uh, the button guy getting hurt. So the prime minister will be the first member of the government to make a statement. All other members of the government will be instructed not to comment until after the Prime Minister has spoken. The Ministry of Defense will arrange for gun salutes to take place at all saluting stations. The Prime Minister will then hold an audience with the new king, and to ensure a smooth transition to the new official head of state, all members of Parliament will gather to swear allegiance to the new king as well. This was also done hours after young Queen Elizabeth's father, King George VI, died in 1952. So, Charles will give an address to the nation at 6 p.m. There will also be an immediate service of remembrance at St. Paul's Cathedral, which will be attended by the Prime Minister. This service is planned in detail, too, but will be presented as if it were spontaneous. <laughs> well, they're politicians, so I suppose they can act. All media will be ready. They've been planning this for years, as well for some very unexpected situations too. Like most of the British radio stations, for example, have music lists. Mood 1 is sad, and Mood 2 is the saddest. For 30 years, BBC news teams trained to perform mock storylines about the Queen Mother, for example, choking on a fishbone. And there was once a scenario about Princess Diana dying in a car crash on the M4. And, I mean, uh, that's kind of... Yeah, yeah, that's a bit prophetic, huh? Yeah. The BBC has categories for royal death. Category one being the most sad, the gravest. And that's how the Queen's death will be covered. The anchors will wear black suits and black ties. Programs will stop. Networks will merge. BBC one, two, and four will be interrupted and revert silently to their respective indents, an exercise class in a village hall, a swan waiting on a pond, before coming together for the news. And listeners to Radio 4 and Radio 5 will hear a specific formulation of words. This is BBC from London, which, intentionally or not, will summon a spirit of national emergency. Because when you hear that, I mean, even to me, that kind of sounds, I, I've heard it in documentaries. So when they say yeah. this is BBC yeah. from London, it's like, oh, oh <laughs> what's up? You know? Yeah. But plans don't always go so smoothly. In 2002, when the Queen Mother really died, the background lights didn't come on because someone failed to press the button down properly in the studio. On the BBC, Peter Sissons, the veteran anchor, was criticized for wearing a maroon tie 
but overall no major issues happened. The standards are really high, is the takeaway, I suppose, for Operation London Bridge. Yes, and I think it's fair to say that no matter when and how exactly we'll hear about the Queen's death, we will all remember that day, where we were when we heard about it. When she dies, both Houses of Parliament will be recalled, people will go home from work early, and plane pilots will announce the news to passengers. And I mean, that is in Britain. I don't know the rest of the world, but I know for sure I'm going to remember where I was. Yeah. I know she's probably not going to go on any international trips anymore, but what happens if she doesn't die at Buckingham Palace? So what happens if she's somewhere else? So what's the plan? Yes, so if the Queen dies abroad, a BAE-146 jet from the RAF's number 32 squadron, known as the Royal Flight, will take off from Northolt at the western edge of London with a coffin on board. The Royal Undertakers, Leverton and Sons, keep what they call... A first call coffin ready for royal emergencies, and her body will be flown back home. Now, if the Queen dies at Sandringham, her residence in Norfolk, Eastern England, her body will be carried by royal train to St. Pancras Station in London, where her coffin will be met by the Prime Minister and Cabinet members. But according to The Guardian, quote, the most elaborate plans are for what happens if she passes away at Balmoral, where she spends three months a year. This will trigger an initial wave of Scottish ritual. First, the Queen's body will lie at rest in her smallest palace at Holyrood House in Edinburgh, where she is traditionally guarded by the royal company of archers, the ones with eagle feathers in their bonnets. Then the coffin will be carried up the Royal Mile to St. Giles Cathedral for a service of reception before being put on board the royal train at Waverley Station for a sad progress down the East Coast mainline. And crowds are expected at level crossings and on station platforms the length of the country for Musselburgh and Thursk in the north to Peterborough and Hatfield in the south to throw flowers on the passing train. And then a different locomotive will follow behind to clear debris from the tracks. In every scenario, though, the Queen's body returns to the throne room in Buckingham Palace, which overlooks the northwest corner of the quadrangle, its interior courtyard, and there will be an altar, the pole, the royal standard, and four grenadier guards with the bare skin hats inclined, rifles pointing to the floor, standing watch. Staff will follow very detailed procedures by heart. And across the country, flags will come down and bells will toll. In 1952, Great Tom was rung at St. Paul's every minute for two hours when the news was announced. You know what's not announced and we have to do before uh, we get too much further? Our premium episodes? Exactly. We do two premium episodes every month in addition to our four free ones. So there's already a bunch of great exclusive premium content for you guys. You can get these premium episodes by going to dubiaspot.com and clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of the page or by clicking the link in the episode notes. That way you can support us and the podcast because we have no team of editors, no sound designers and so on. It's just us and we work on our episodes whenever we have a bit of time on nights and weekends mostly. And not only do you get the premium episodes, but you'll also get our public episodes ad-free as well. As far as the funeral goes, the 18th Duke of Norfolk, the Earl Marshal, will be in charge. Uh, Norfolks have overseen royal funerals since 1672, 
but Prince Charles will still be able to decide some of the funeral details. He will, after all, be the king. Yes, so let's see what happens on D-Day plus one, so the day after her death. The flags will go back up, and there are really two things going on. You know, we must understand, we have the death of a sovereign, and there is also the making of a king. And at 10 a.m. on the day after the queen's death, the Accession Council, composed of senior government figures, will meet at St. James's Palace to proclaim King Charles as a new sovereign. So the proclamation of King Charles is what's happening. And this is also part of Operation Springtide. Early in the morning, the central window overlooking Friary Court on St. James's Palace Eastern side will have been removed and the roof outside covered in red felt. After Charles has spoken, Trumpeters from the lifeguards wearing red plumes on their helmets will step outside, give three blasts, and the Garter King of Arms, Thomas Woodcock, will stand on the balcony and begin the ritual proclamations of King Charles III. Woodcock's official salary of 49 pounds 7 pence has not been raised since the 1830s. This is, for some reason, a coveted position. It's actually a massive honor. Yes, and I think that's why, you know, they want it. It's, I mean, who gets to be there so close for the proclamation of a new king and play such an important role? You know what I mean? So, yeah. And there will be an audience of billions for this moment. People will look for all kinds of signs, auguries in the weather, you know, in the birds flying overhead, if it's raining, if the wind is blowing too hard or something, to try to see what the signs are for Charles's reign. I don't believe in any of this stuff, but for example... At the Queen's succession, everyone was convinced that the new Queen was too calm. I mean, look, you can't win really as a woman. You're either too emotional or too calm. Ugh. But, I mean, she showed them all, didn't she? She did. And slight digression. So, in the chronicles that Shakespeare based his plays on, there was a bit about how the Welsh king, when he was being pursued uh, during his rebellion by Henry IV was able to evade capture because the king's army got stuck in the mud for three straight days of rain. And it was determined because it rained for three days in England that clearly he is a wizard. So we will need to be on the lookout for the return of uh, nefarious wizard Owen Glendower at this point in time as well. And I by mean, the way, it would be weird if it wouldn't <laughs> rain for three days in England. Exactly. It's an island. It rains yes. all the time. <laughs> this is what we like to call in the business a poor excuse. But uh, do you know what the plan for Winston Churchill's death was called? No. What was it? Operation Hope Not, which is also an apt title. <laughs> yes. I mean, look, I love all the code names, to be honest. But back to the proclamation. Hundreds of privy councillors, including the prime minister and senior ministers, will be in attendance, of course, with the gentlemen expected to don morning dress or lounge suits with black or dark ties, and no decorations are to be worn for this event. And Parliament will meet to agree on a message of condolence, and all other parliamentary business will be suspended for 10 days. MPs are going to give tributes in the House of Commons, and pretty much, you know, that's all they're going to be doing. At 3.30 p.m., the Prime Minister and the Cabinet will hold an audience with the new king. Ministers will be told not to bring their spouses. Why not? Because I suppose technically it's a Cabinet meeting. It's work time, so it's not a social event. 
okay, fine, but I guess that some might have brought them in the past, maybe, hence the need of telling them now not to, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it seems so. So, after the proclamation at the palace uh, from St. James's, the Garter, King of Arms, and half a dozen other heralds dressed in, you know, full glorious uh, attire, as tradition dictates, will go by carriage to the statue of Charles I at the base of Trafalgar Square, which marks London's official midpoint to read out the news again. And a 41-gun salute, almost seven minutes of artillery, will be fired from Hyde Park. This part of the process will be done 100% like in the old times. No modifications, not a single thing changed. All the dogs are going to be terrified, but they're going to do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you want it. Mention the puppies, but yes. And look, a few other things that will happen on D-Day Plus One, according to Sam Knight. Quote, Westminster Hall will be locked and thoroughly cleaned. The floor will be covered with 1,500 meters of carpet. Candles with wicks already burnt in will be brought over from the Abbey. The streets around will be converted into ceremonial spaces. The bollards on the mall will be removed and rails put up to protect the hedges. There is space for 7,000 seats on the Horse Guards Parade and 1,345 on Carlton House Terrace. In 1952, all the rhododendrons in Parliament Square were pulled up and women were barred from the roof of Admiralty Arch. Nothing can be done to protect the bulbs, noted the Ministry of Works. <laughs> the Queen's 10 pallbearers will be chosen and they will practice carrying their burden out of sight somewhere in a barracks. British royals are buried in lead-lined coffins. Diana's weighed a quarter of a ton. Okay, so we got to do some quick math here. So you got 10 people and it's going to weigh 500 pounds. So you're going to have 50 pounds per person, but, you know, all right, keep an eye on these people because there's going to be two lazy ones in that bunch. They're going to be not pulling their weight and the other <laughs> ones are going to be giving them dirty looks because they're carrying like 75 or 80. So uh, anyways, on D-Day plus two, the Queen's coffin will return to Buckingham Palace. Proclamations will be read in the devolved administrations. Tributes will continue in Parliament. On D-Day plus three in the morning, Charles will receive the motion of condolence at Westminster Hall. In the afternoon, he will embark on a tour of the United Kingdom, starting with a visit to the Scottish Parliament and a service at St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh. So basically, it will be time to get to work even before his mother's funeral, you know, visiting Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. And during the tour, he will meet with leaders and attend services as well as go out and meet the people. I imagine that's going to be difficult for him doing all of this stuff while grieving his mom. But Charles has been training for this moment his whole life, so he will no doubt be well prepared. On D-Day plus four, King Charles will arrive in Northern Ireland where he'll receive another motion of condolence at Hillsborough Castle and attend a service at St. Anne's Cathedral in Belfast. On D-Day Plus 5, Operation Lion will begin. That's the code name for the procession of the coffin from Buckingham Palace to the Palace of Westminster, where the Queen will lie in state for four full days. So while the procession carrying, you know, the coffin is called Operation Lion, 
the period of time during which the queen will be lying in state at the Palace of Westminster is called Operation Feather. So that's a different code name there. Now, the procession from Buckingham Palace will be one of the first great military parades on London Bridge. It will be pretty much a slow march from St. James's Palace, like it was for the Queen Mother in 2002. And uh, at that time, it involved 1,600 personnel, and it did stretch for half a mile. The bands played Beethoven, and a gun was fired every minute from Hyde Park. The route is thought to hold around a million people, and the plan to get them there is based on the logistics for the London 2012 Olympics. My favorite part, though, there may be puppies, corgis. I mean, in 1910, the mourners for Edward VII were led by his fox terrier, Caesar, and his son's coffin was followed to Wolferton Station at Sandringham by Jock, a white shooting pony. I mean, I love that they include the pets in their funerals, and in, not only they include them, they give them like a central role. I think that's amazing. So the procession will reach Westminster Hall on the hour. The timing will be perfectly in sync with Big Ben beginning to chime as the procession arrives. There was a controversy a few years ago about Big Ben being unable to bong. <laughs> I have not heard that. Yes, this has been a couple of years. I heard it on one of the British podcasts I listened to. They had a whole bit about how Big Ben could not bong. And I think they, they fixed send, it, though, no? They, yes, they had to send the crew uh, halfway up the tower to uh, figure out how they're going to fix Big Ben, because Big Ben has got a bong on this particular day and is very funny. So, anyways, the coffin is placed on a catafalque draped in purple. King Charles will be back from his tour of the home nations. He will lead the mourners. The orb, the scepter, and the imperial crown will be secured on the coffin. Soldiers will stand guard, and then the doors will open to the crowds that will have formed outside and will now stream past the queen for 23 hours a day. Tickets will be issued for VIPs so that they can have a time slot. By the way, the Star of Africa on the royal scepter is the second largest cut diamond in the world. The largest is the Cullinan Diamond, also known as the Golden Jubilee Diamond. I know we're talking about the funeral, but I am fascinated. This is fasc These are the kinds of details that I love, you know, like about the uh, crown jewels, all this stuff, the pageantry. I love this. So, you know, there will be a public viewing of her casket at Westminster Hall where she will lie in state. So the public will have an opportunity to say goodbye personally for George VI. Over 300,000 subjects came. The line was four miles long. The palace is expecting about half a million for the queen. Honestly, I would say it's going to be a little more than that. Yeah. very. I mean, London, what's the population of London? I don't know. Why do you ask me these complicated questions in the you middle of the all podcast? This, it's surely many millions of people. So yes. even if it's just the locals. On D-Day Plus 6, a rehearsal will take place for the state funeral procession. On D-Day Plus 7, King Charles will travel to Wales to receive another motion of condolence at the Welsh Parliament and attend the service at Lyondaff Cathedral in Cardiff. On days 6, 7, 8, and 9, government departments will be absorbed in a massive amount of preparation for the funeral. Documents seen by Politico show that specific concerns have been raised about potential challenges. The departments facing the greatest difficulty 
are the Foreign Office, the Home Office, and the Department for Transport. The Foreign Office is tasked with arranging the arrivals of heads of state and VIPs from abroad, with concerns also raised about how to arrange entry for significant numbers of tourists into the country should the Queen die during a possible spike in COVID numbers again. The Home Office is responsible for security arrangements, and the government's National Security Secretariat and Intelligence Services will be on high alert for any increased terror threat level. Maybe they'll have the uh, fishy George Bush meter going on again. Uh, The Department for Transport has raised concern that the number of people who may want to travel to London could cause major problems for the transport network as a whole and lead to overcrowding in the capital city. Yes, one memo warns of a worst-case scenario in which London literally becomes full for the first time ever, as potentially hundreds of thousands of people try to make their way there, you know, with accommodation, roads, public transport, food, policing, healthcare, and basic services stretched to a breaking point. Concerns have also been raised about the shortage of stewards for crowd control purposes. Well... Maybe if Brexit were not a thing, there would not be shortages. Just saying. (laughs) D-Day plus nine is the actual day of the funeral, and everything will be closed in the UK, including the stock market, as this will be a national day of mourning. The nation will be silent. The state funeral itself will be held at Westminster Abbey. Yes, and at 9 a.m., Big Ben will strike. After that, the bell's hammer will be covered with a leather pad 7 sixteenths of an inch thick, and it will ring out in muffled tones. The Queen will be the first British monarch to have her funeral in Westminster Abbey since 1760, and there will be about 2,000 guests sitting inside, and the television cameras are going to be discreetly placed in hides made of painted bricks, and we'll have etched into our minds certain images we're going to remember. You know, like the word mommy on the flowers for Diana from her sons in 1997? I still remember that to this day. Now, the distance from Westminster Hall to the Abbey is quite short, and the coffin will arrive at 11 a.m. sharp, The pallbearers will place the coffin on the green gun carriage that was used for the Queen's father and his father and his father's father, and the 138 junior sailors will drop their heads to their chests and pull. And then the tradition of being hauled by the Royal Navy is quite something, and it began in 1901 when Victoria's funeral horses, all white, threatened to bolt at Windsor Station, and a waiting contingent of Reading stepped in to pull the coffin instead. (laughs) Yeah, at that time, the train stations will cease announcements, buses will stop, and drivers will get out uh, at the side of the road. There will be a two-minute silence across the nation at midday. Inside the abbey, the archbishop will speak, and during the prayers, the news media was asked to refrain from showing royal faces. After the state funeral at Westminster Abbey, the Queen's body will be brought home to Windsor Castle, outside of London, where many members of the royal family over the centuries have been buried at St. George's Chapel. The chapel was also the setting for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding in 2018. I've been there. Really? Yes, and I don't know, we got so lucky because for some reason, 
it was not crowded at all on that day. And I think it was like just three people in the chapel and then everybody left. And I spent about 15 minutes there just enjoying it because it was so quiet and beautiful. And the light is really beautiful in that chapel. Anyway, Windsor Castle, that's why you go to Britain. You know, you go to visit all these places. You don't go exactly. to see the modern architecture. You go for the things that matter, which, you know, we have them because of the monarchy. So, yeah. The Queen's final resting place will be beside Prince Philip, whose body will likely be moved with hers to King George VI Memorial Chapel at Windsor Castle, where her father is also buried. Philip is currently interred in the chapel's royal vault, where some other monarchs and royal family members are buried as well. And the King George VI Memorial Chapel, though, is the burial place of the rest of her family. Queen Elizabeth's father, along with her mother and sister, Princess Margaret, are resting there too. So an interesting bit is that the kings and queens can actually choose their names before their coronation. Queen Elizabeth's father, King George VI, was born Albert and was known as Bertie, but he chose to be King George after his father, King George V. Elizabeth had a far easier choice since her birth name recalls another of England's great queens, Elizabeth I. There had been speculation that Charles would choose a different name, perhaps George after his grandfather or Philip after his father, because the first two kings, Charles, were, well, associated with civil wars and beheadings. But uh, chances are Prince Charles will keep his given name and become Charles III. Yes, and his coronation will probably happen about a year after the Queen's funeral for the obvious reasons. One, as a sign of respect, and second, it takes a very long time to prepare such events. And even though there is already a detailed plan in place for Charles' coronation too, it's still all very intricate and things must be, you know, worked on carefully. And once Charles is king, the line of succession will obviously change too. Yes, after Charles becomes king, William will move up and take the position of heir apparent. Following Charles's coronation, William will assume the title of Prince of Wales in a separate ceremony that will happen after Charles is crowned. And the title Prince of Wales is traditionally given to the next in line to the throne. This would make Kate the Princess of Wales. But because this was Diana's title, she may opt for another out of respect for her late mother-in-law, as has Charles's wife Camilla, who is currently using her own title, the Duchess of Cornwall. The Queen's death would put William and Kate's children, Queen Elizabeth's great-grandchildren, second George, third Charlotte, and fourth Louis in line to the throne. Prince Harry will remain below them in fifth place, and there were some rumors that Prince William will take Charles's place, but that is complete nonsense. This is monarchy. Primogeniture is the rule since, well, since the Norman conquest of England in the 11th century, kings simply pass the power to rule to their firstborn son. Now, it's also firstborn daughter. The uh, male heirs do not take precedence over their sisters anymore, so it's been modernized, which is good. But yes, we will have uh, a king, and that will be King Charles III, and only many, many years after that, we're going to have King William. I actually did not know that uh, there was an equivalence between sons and daughters, and there was no preference given to male heirs. Yes, it used to be only the males, but they have changed it in the law. Well, where, yeah. Elizabeth I, I would suspect, had a lot to do with that, yes. Yes, and look, my personal opinion, and I've said it before, I think that the uh, constitutional monarchy is the best option to rule a country, if I am to be honest. And 
I think there's a good reason why the House of Windsor is the last European royal family to practice coronations, to have the whole show and magic on display. And they will probably resist and persist. And honestly, I'm all for it. You know why? Because I feel like we all need fairy tale stuff in our lives. And whenever a royal gets married and you have a coronation, I don't know, it's uplifting. It's beautiful. Plus, they bring a lot of money into the country. They earned their keep, so I'm all for it. I will give you that. There is there is a need for institutions outside of politics and finance because obviously any sane person's respect for politics and finance should be zero. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're going to have some sort of innate respect for your ruling institutions, then yes, something has to exist outside of the day-to-day capitalist grind, because those are very boring and generally evil. So uh, I would agree on that point. So what else? Uh, Seems like we're probably forgetting something. Oh, wait, before you say whatever we are forgetting, because I can't think of it either, I want to tell our listeners that we are currently working on a premium episode about Prince Charles's coronation, but also other royal peppery subjects. And yes, his coronation is also planned in detail. So if you want to hear that one too, please become a patron on dubiouspod.com. Oh, yeah. Also, if you guys want to give us some feedback, we are at dubiouspod on all social media platforms. That's it for this episode. Uh, We hope you liked it. Let us know what other subjects you'd like to hear about. We're open to suggestions and compliments and praise. We thrive on praise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have to have something from this because we literally uh, work in the content minds. That's what we were joking about the other day. I had to fix my uh, garbled wire static on the last episode. I was sitting, sweating in the closet, re-recording my bits, and I was telling Sandra that this is what the content minds are. You know, you're sweating <laughs> in a in a box in front yes, of a microphone. Yes, but you did an day. amazing job. So you know, yes. and also we enjoy it. Let's be honest. Yeah, I, it I, is pretty yeah. fun. It is. It is. And that's all we have for this one. Thanks. See you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>